My name is Jason from the Misplay Podcast, and you're listening to Farming Eternal, the number one eternal podcast. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by Patrick, or Padumaro, that's me, and Ben Gracier, back on the data mining team. It's episode 32. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, at least one of us will. We have a few announcements, listener of the week, card of the week, our seven-win run breakdown, and finally, for our main topic, we're going to talk about some of the new cards that have been added to the draft packs from set seven. So let's begin. Ben, how was your draft week? Oh, this has been a really good week, uh, a a good real-life week. I was in Hawaii for a while, which was awesome. Um, But then I came back, and they they turned off my favorite format uh, and gave us this other format instead. So it's been a little bit of a rocky change. I have to be playing two colors. I have to be responsible uh, now. But it's been going okay. It's been going okay on, on the draft format. How about you? I honestly have not played the new format yet. We've had a, I've had a busy, busy month, but we're kind of getting near the end, I hope. I say that as I'm about to start building a greenhouse, but... <laughs> what could go wrong? So you're saying you're going to do some uh, justice drafting is what you're going to do. Yeah, but I'm excited for Set 7 to come out, and I'm also excited to... Along with being busy and not drafting much, I feel like I've fallen off a little bit on the podcast schedule and participating in Discord. So I'd like, and like thanking all our patrons. So I'd like to let everyone know that hopefully in the next week or so, I'm like starting to get back on track and I think we'll be able, we'll be able to participate a lot more in all of that. That'll be good to hear. We're, your voice is missed in the, in the format. We need some pictures of some some vegetables uh, to keep our spirits up and we're looking forward to seeing you back in the discord all right so speaking of that a little bit uh first off announcements we've had uh, three new patrons since we last um we last recorded so i'd like to thank uh, tokut uh, darth herman too and twin hex for joining the patreon as well as all our veteran patrons uh, mark Marshall, Cassandrith, Jed the Hamred, Raven Dragon, Srich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yist Out. And if I missed anyone, which is very possible for the above stated reasons, I'm going to go through all the patron. I'm going to start working on getting all the patron awards out and done and also updating this list so that there are no mistakes. Yeah. Well, the thing that's not a mistake is uh, the the feelings we have towards the people who have contributed because they're they're really helping us. I would say that they've been quite helpful in the Discord. Yeah, the the patrons have been great. I mean, even the fact that not only are they giving us, <laughs> they're not only are they helping support us, but even the fact that they've been sending like positive messages saying thank you for the show along with their donations has been just like really uplifting and makes me continue to want to find the time to figure out how to do this show. So thank you all for helping support the show. 
it really does make it worth it. Yeah. When when people put their hard-earned money uh, where their ears are, it makes you want to keep filling those ears with content. So yeah. let's let's keep that up. All right. And then the other announcement is that the hand-picked draft tournament has started. So if you're listening to this and you're not participating, it's too late for you. But you can follow the action in the Discord and hopefully that will motivate you for the next time that we run one of these tournaments because we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast before but the first one went really well this one we're trying out a best of three format as well as uh sort of a semi-constructed format so it's a little bit different than the last one but people seem to be excited and i think games are starting to be played now yeah for sure and uh when this is over, there's going to be another one, and the way to know about that in the in the most timely fashion is to be on the Discord. So, yes. uh, more more tournaments are coming. Yep, and not stopping this. People now have a chance to take away my red flare. <laughs> oh, is it temporary? Is that the way this works until the next tournament? Oh, that's what that's I was excellent. thinking. We could talk off off podcast about whether it should be permanent or temporary. That's great. It depends on whether I win or not. Then yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. So we also had a... Um, I defeated uh, Parmalee in his uh, bounty giveaway, and we turned around and gave it back to the listeners in the Discord with a kind of a cool challenge that we uh, had. We had uh, almost 10 participants in it, and John Holio won a couple platinum chests and a gold chest, uh, courtesy of Parmalee. So thank you to the Misplay Podcast. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for participating in the giveaway. Oh man, I'm a little. Did John Holio open it yet? Uh, he did. He said he had funded his next, his first draft of the next format. Okay, platinum well, chests are a big deal. John Holio, I'm a little disappointed because as a streamer, you could have passed this along as a streaming prize, and this could just be the never-ending, <laughs> the, the never-ending opening chest reward. And then next, our listener of the week. We'd like to thank Nethership and Celtic Guardian. Uh, they're doing a little bit of house cleaning right now in Discord, uh, which has been really great. It was I, I thought our Discord was blowing up because I checked it this morning, and every channel had a, a new post. <laughs> so what did you start with? That's the that tells you something about yourself there. Uh, I actually I started with the one I started with the off-topic one because he tagged me in it. That's when I figured out something, and there was something amiss in a positive way. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you, Nethership and, and Celtic Guardian, for, for helping with some of the administrative tasks there. And uh, for anyone else that would like to help out with the Discord, um, Ben has started posting some ideas where sort of uh, users of the Discord can help participate more in keeping our Discord great and kind of doing different sort of tasks that we try to have time for, but sometimes fail at. And so he's been posting just like some ideas for other ways that people can participate in this project. Yeah, some people contribute uh, money, the, the patrons contribute money. Some people contribute uh, feedback. Some people uh, are looking for a way to contribute time to the podcast. And this is a way to, to do that if you have some, uh, if you want to help us in that way. So now on to our card of the week what's your card of the week ben 
Uh, I had quite a lot of success in the, my first two drafts in the format with the card Blood of Makar. It's a four-cost uh, single shadow cursed relic uh, that says when one of your units hits the cursed player, the unit gets plus two attack, and that's a permanent plus two attack. So th this card is extremely good with uh, flying units, and it really doesn't matter what kind of flying unit it is. Uh, one one flyer for one is a lethal threat with this in play because it turns into a 3-1 flyer with one attack, a 5-1 flyer, a 7-1 flyer. It also has an immediate board impacting effect. You play it, you attack, your units get buffed, and then you're threatening to do that again and again in future turns. It's also pretty good with uh, units that do direct damage to the opponent's uh, life total, like Razor Quill. Uh, it's, Razor Quill is not as broken as it seems because uh, while its attack goes up quite rapidly, the defense is also still, its, its health is being reduced as it twists. So if they have some creatures to block with, it's just going to be a trade. But if they do not have any creatures to block with, Razor Quill is extremely dangerous with this card. It's also a pretty good card with uh, Lifesteal, Quick Draw, Berserk, Overwhelm, anything that cares about the attack of units. And it makes it very difficult to win a race against the person playing the Blood of Makar. So if your opponent plays that, you better either kill them very quickly or make sure their units do not connect with your face or it, you might have a bad time. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me why you think this is better than Barbarian Camp? Uh, it's Well, okay, so it's a little better and it's a little worse than Barbarian Camp. It doesn't have an immediate effect when you play it. Like with Barbarian Camp, your units get the attack. It's useful on defense. It's useful in that one combat. Um, so the the way this is better is in the situations I outlined. Like if you have a board stall and you have any kind of creature, so sometimes you're left over with like an archive curator or a, the one two that gives you a power or the just just some dinky unit, and you can ping away at them, but it gives them many, many turns to draw an answer, either a bigger flyer, a removal spell, something like that. It, sometimes you joke that you have them on a 20-turn clock because you're attacking for one a turn and they're at 20 health. Well, uh, if you have a one-power flying creature with this, you're going to do one the first turn, then three. So on, on the second attack, you're even with Barbarian Ring. Then on the third attack, you're ahead, uh, and you've done uh, nine damage with three attacks, uh, 16 damage with four attacks, uh, and that's already double what you would do with a Barbarian Ring and a one-power flyer. Uh, also, a lot of times when you're in a race, your opponent will attack you with some units uh, and not leave a lot of defense because you're just kind of trading damage. When you get in with uh, your creatures and they get this permanent buff, um, it, it just strongly swings things and puts them on defense. So then they have to hold back. And then if you have like a removal spell in your hand, like I had the last time I streamed, uh, my opponent held their unit back. I used my removal spell and hit them again for five points of lifesteal or whatever it was, and the game was over, basically. Uh, there, were, there was no more racing after that. So I, I think it's... Um, it's interesting to compare this with Barbarian Ring, but I think the effect is is just very much stronger. 
it's it's closer to a xenonobelisk, I would say, than to a barbarian ring. And that's barbarian camp. Barbarian camp. Sorry, I keep calling barbarian camp barbarian ring because barbarian ring is the Magic the Gathering card. So I, I apologize in uh, retroactively for all of those instances, but even though you have to get the attack in to get the buff, I think it's still just such a swingy effect and so powerful that it's it's worth playing. There's also some curse synergy in the set, apparently. Uh, we'll, we'll see it eventually. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's because Barbarian Camp never struck me as a very good card because you're. I agree. Yeah. Your yeah. turn four off to only get plus one power. So I'll be interested to see how this card turns out because I do think this card is great when you're you're ahead and you have a time to. To spend four power, but it's not really, you know, we've just gone through a lot of the, uh, your phase theory, and yeah. I think there are a lot of phases where this card is not great. It's not good on defense, right? Yeah, so it's, it's not good when you're developing. That's a strong mark against it. It's okay in developing, because yeah, I guess it, in it has a board-impacting effect, and it's very good in racing situations. It's similar to a Xenon Obelisk when you're racing. Because it's going to give all your team plus two attack, which is a fully empowered Xenon Obelisk. And then it, it's going to threaten to double fully powered Xenon Obelisk the next turn, which is a little silly. Yes. Um, I think in racing it's better than Xenon Obelisk, but at parity it's much worse. No, you have, to have, you have to have a flyer. You have to have some enablers for this. Um, I don't say that this card is good with like a stranger or whatever. It It's... It's good when you have evasion. Uh, it, it rapidly increases the clock when you have any kind of evasion. And if you can get that one hit in, uh, where because it's kind of like a, like in those racing scenarios, it's kind of like a fast spell that your opponent can't react to. Like mm -hmm. you're going to get your hit in. That when you're racing someone, in general, you're kind of accepting an agreement that you're going to take some damage and you're going to deal some damage to them. When you do something like this, you strongly change the math of that race in a way that they don't get to react to at the time. They have to like react to it the next turn. And then the math of the race has already changed dramatically. Uh, and they may not even be able to react anymore if what you're doing is attacking them with flying units. Yeah. So you definitely need to kind of draft around this card. It's not going to be great in every deck. It's not going to be great in every situation. But I think it strongly empowers some cards that are, like, marginally playable. Mm -hmm. like just the little 1-1 one, one flyers for one or whatever are extremely dangerous with this with this card. So that's notable because... It's so good with cards that are individually less powerful. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, because so. I think the other counter to this card is so would be to say, so you're telling me this card is good if you have flyers in your yeah. draft deck. Which it's good to have flyers. Now you could say you're winning anyway if you're attacking them with flyers. But let's say your flyers are the one two that gives you two armor, mm -hmm. and they're they're the like. Uh, Torrid Test Pilot or something like that that's a 1-4, it's low threat, and let's say your opponent has Corrupted Behemoth. I think in a format with Corrupted, Corrupted Behemoth is not racing this card. 
Yeah. It doesn't like you have two flyer, two one power flyers. They have a corrupted behemoth. I'd probably give them two corrupted behemoths and I'd still beat them in a race. Uh, so that's a that's a very strong impact. Like n- not all of these ra- so racing situations are not board stalls. Yeah. In a board stall, you'll win eventually. In a race, somebody's going to win like very soon, uh, and this this makes it so that person is going to be you unless yeah. they like directly interact with what you're doing. And if what you did was got in a life steal hit, or an attack with a quick draw unit or a mastery unit, it's pretty good with mastery. It doesn't. It buffs it after it deals the damage, which is bad, and it's bad on defense. I think those are the worst parts. But I think the upside is high enough that it that it mitigates those downsides. So we'll see. I, I'm I'm a little bit more tempered in this uh, with this card than I was when I started talking about it. But I do I I am still strongly looking to to pick this card right now for for the time being, and we'll see. Uh, it did really well for me in one draft, and the other draft I just got steamrolled a bunch of times. So, yeah, no, I I, I think it's good. I'm excited to see how this uh, cursed relic synergy works in this set. For sure, and and there's no no real synergy with it yet, but hopefully in the in the set seven format there'll be some synergy. Yeah. What about you, Patrick? What's your card of the week? Yeah, the card I wanted to talk about was uh, Ardent Convert, which is the one-time one-one with Exalted. So. That has one of the new keywords for set seven, exalted, which means when this unit dies, you immediately play a weapon, a weapon equal to its power, toughness, and keyword and abilities that it has. And you have to, you have to have another unit on board to take advantage of it. You're not drawing it. Yeah. So I guess I was wondering what your thoughts for this card are. Because I feel like it's a little hard to, I think the keyword itself, which we'll talk about later, is a little hard to evaluate um, exalted but also you know just in up until now there has not been very many good one ones for one i think uh maybe been the, historically pretty bad i agree yeah you know there's been scorpion which had deadly and then there's the minotaur Oathkeeper, which which when uh you know more like an enchantment or a relic yeah. so this card is like in one sense, you know, you're getting a, a two-two for one power, which sounds good, but you are still paying the cost of putting a one-one for one in your deck. So it's kind of like a interesting trade-off that's hard for me to evaluate currently. Yeah, it definitely looks bad, and uh, because one-one for one is just you would never play that card. But like you say. You kind of get two uses out of it. I think you have to have some kind of synergy because I wouldn't play this as like a chump block their guy, give another unit plus one, plus one. That's not very exciting. Uh, that's like a muster or a, some some a heist type ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really in for that. But I think if you have some kind of synergies with it, then it can get kind of out of control. So I think the baseline rate is pretty bad, but the synergy rate is very strong, and it's stronger the worse the removal is in the format. Like, I don't know that there's many ping effects at all, and I don't know that there's many big unconditional removal spells in the format. Um, So both of those strongly benefit uh, this little 1-1 exalted guy. 
if you do something like draw strength or whatever uh, and get two uses, uh, one of which is a permanent use out of your uh, draw strength. So, so uh, one thing that I, um, Allison, who is a frequent uh, Redditor and Discord user, she put out a little her like initial thoughts on this on the new draft cards in a Reddit post. And one of the things that she said is she thought this card was most valuable as a one one in like double blocking situations. So you're getting like a little extra value on the front end as compared to just chump blocking. And then you also get to give another unit plus one plus one. So does that seem, uh, what do you maybe, think about that? M maybe it can be kind of awkward in those. I, th I think that's reasonable. Let's say you have like a two, two and a one, one, and then some other creature as well. Right. And then your opponent has a three, three and you double block with the two, two and the one, one, and you lose both your guys and they lose their three, three. And then you move your one, one weapon somewhere else. Great. You got some value out of your creature dying, but still, like if you just had like a two-two for two there, you just wouldn't lose the unit in the first place. So I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. And then also in a scenario like, let's say you have a one-one and a two-two, and they have a two-three. Well, they just don't kill your one-one. They kill a two-two, and you still have this one-one left over. Yeah. Uh, or I don't know. Like, you give a little bit of control to your opponent in the double-blocking situations because they get to choose what they kill. Yeah. And if they're not forced to kill your unit, then your plans might kind of unravel a little bit. So I, I started skeptical on the Exalted. This is a one-one-for-one, one, so that also starts me out kind of skeptical. But I, I keep hearing that it's more powerful than I think. I keep hearing that it's very powerful, very snowball-y very good with the synergies so i'm withholding final judgment on this for now i'm skeptical but i think with synergy payoffs it can be very good uh, and especially good if it's a low removal format mm -hmm. if you play well, this are you, it, are you now talking about exalted in general or exalted in general and th this creature specifically because this creature on its own it does nothing so uh, relatively nothing let's say one one for one is not a, like worth a card um so you i think you have to have synergies with it and then when you let's say you you know draw strength it or something make it a four four it blocks and trades with their four four that's a relatively good deal you used two cards to kill their one card your your guy and the draw strength but then you get a card back in the form of a four four weapon on something else and if that works out that's very powerful because, you know, 4-4 four, four weapon that kills a guy, if you look at it the other way around, that's worth, you know, that's, that's worth a, a, at least a card. Uh, but I think it's the synergy there that's the more important, more powerful part at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. And also, it, like, the unit has to die. So, like, if you draw strength and you, in that example, you make your unit a 4-4, four, four, and you kill their 3-3, three, three, all you got out of that was the draw strength effect, which was kill something. Your unit didn't die. So things kind of, I feel like things have to align. I, had, I don't have enough experience with the format yet to say that it's definitely good or definitely bad. But I'm 
open to the idea that my initial exp- impression of this is very, very wrong. And I do see this as being a potentially very powerful effect in general. I, I haven't played this card yet specifically. Uh, it has been played against me and it wasn't amazing. Uh, but they didn't, again, they didn't have the synergy. If they had the synergy, then maybe it would have been much better. This this card specifically, I think it's really insightful to, to call this a one power two two because I didn't think about it that way. And I do think that is interesting and it's, I think, very good the more it trades with a card and the more combat tricks there are in the format. Yes. Yeah, and that's like one of the things we don't know how many, say, X ones there are in the format. Yeah. You know, if there are a lot of X ones, then maybe this goes up in value. But I think that was pretty good. Shall we move on to our next segment? Sounds good. All right, so our next segment is the seven-win run breakdown. We have a long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. Our listeners uh, email us their seven-win drafts at farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them on the seven-win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord. We also we accept exported deck lists and any kind of Eternal War Cry link. And then we take all of this information from our awesome listeners, compile it into a spreadsheet, and do some data analysis on it to draw conclusions about the format. And then we try to share those conclusions with the listeners so that we can all benefit. Um, and then part of the, um, the rewards, besides for all of the previous mentioned benefits, are that we say your names for everyone who submitted a list this past week or in this case, maybe closer to the past month. Um, <laughs> so uh, since our last recording, we've had 139 lists from 52 active listeners. The new listeners who have never submitted a list before are Aaron J, Allison, Dan W, Death, Eric Phils, who had six lists, G. Marceau, Langrangian with three lists, Mr. Culwell, PKTT, Scrabble Dude, Simon OK, Surf Wizard, The Thou with 17 lists, and Way Q. We also have a veteran listeners of Abednego, Adam H, Agent Dynamo with four, Ben Grasher, Kalebovich, Celtic Guardian with six, Chase Stay Puffed Kosgrov from the Brewmaster Podcast, Collector, Darth Herman 2 with five lists, Dubes. Hats on Lamps, Jedi EJ with six lists, Jed the Hamred, four lists, Joey Andy Juve, three lists, John Holio, Jose Carlos, 2121, Cassandrith with six lists, Mancio, 1982 with three lists, Madioker, Mercio Blue with six lists, Mariah H, Another Ship with four lists, Out on a Limb, Parmalee, Raven Dragon with three lists, Rofer with five lists, Sidetrack with three lists, Twin Hex with three lists, Soapy Elo, Spiro, Esrich0215, SSJ1997, Spiffy Man with three lists, Telemokos, Tempest Dragon King with six lists, Terran Flame, Yam Yam, and Zuby. Thank you again for everyone who sent in the lists. And then um, another thing we do is we try to give a shout out to uh, one list that caught our attention this week as we were entering them in. So, Ben, what is the list of the week? Uh, the list of the week this week is Esrich 
0215's five faction list. It's uh, number 273 in the sheet. Uh, it has just an amazing amount of fixing. Uh, six strangers, a bannerman, two humbugs. Uh, it has three displays. It has two conflag, uh, sorry, two streets of flames and three conflags. And actually, apparently, uh, Esrich had a fourth conflag that he cut, which is something that I can, I have never done in this format, is cut a conflag. Uh, he also has just a ton of excellent top-end primal flyers. Um, this list looks very dangerous, and it looks pretty consistent in terms of power with all of the fixing um, and very few double influence costs. So uh, take a look at this list because it's a masterpiece of the five-faction archetype. So this is maybe not going to be relevant in the future, but what do you think about cutting a con flag and playing two streets? So I actually, hmm, so I did something like this in the popper tournament where you could just choose what cards you had. And I did play conflagrate and I didn't play any streets, but I think streets has a couple advantages. Uh, it goes face. Mm -hmm. And it scouts. I think scout is typically worth something like one power. So there's some advantages there. Uh, you, which I would cut. I'm I'm really not sure. Uh, the more aggressive you are, the more streets I would play. Mm -hmm. And the more controlly I was, the more uh, conflicts I would play. And I was very controlly in the popper tournament. So I played the conflag over streets. Um, but I think it is a judgment call. I think it's fine. Um, yeah. you, you, one thing that did happen is you did get overloaded with Streets of Flame back in, sorry, not Streets of Flame, but Conflag back in set five, I think it was, draft. You could, um, you could kind of have too many because they were kind of awkward sometimes. They didn't line up too well. So I, I do think it is right that he cut one of these. I, I don't think you can play like, six three damage effects um so i'm not sure which one i would cut but i think cutting one of them is probably right when you say they kind of got awkward sometimes do you mean were they actually were they actually awkward or was it just like sometimes you were like holding a conflict because you wanted that extra value for the of the two for one well, what I'm talking about is it's not an unconditional removal spell. Right. So if the, if back in the set five days, if your opponent had a Coastal Beastmaster or something, you can't kill the Coastal Beastmaster with a Conflag. And then if you have two Conflags, it's kind of not a great not a great deal either. You spend your two Conflags for a Coastal Beastmaster. Um, so it, the limitation on this is not necessarily that you want to use it for seven or that it's a two for one or whatever it's that it's a three damage it's, it's like a conditional removal spell mm -hmm. so but is that you can only have so many of those is that particularly relevant when we're talking about you know because we're not saying do we cut a conflag for an unconditional removal we're saying no do we i cut agree conflag for a streets of flame i th i think it's reasonable to cut one of the one of them like yeah. To not play six, but to play five. And then I th I think personally, like the more defensive I was, and this deck looks 
moderately defensive, but the other thing about this deck is it just has a ton of one and two drops. And some of the, it's not one drop creatures, but there's a lot of two drop units. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this deck is going to have draws where it's aggressive. Um, like I said, he had six uh, strangers and a bannerman. He had the, the two humbugs, which can be very aggressive. Um, so I, I think it, it kind of hedges your bets a little bit that maybe you'll be able to just kill your opponent. And the scout might help you find your big threats which might be more impactful than being able to double come flag on seven power. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be more impactful in the like three to six power range of the game. So like in the mid game, it'll be more impactful. Whereas the conflag will be more impactful in the very early game where mana efficiency is paramount. And in the very late game where you can double or triple amplify it. So yeah. I think, I don't know. I think I might personally have went with the four conflags, but I, I can certainly see the cutting a conflag for a streets basically being correct if you have some offense, some aggressive draws, which I think this deck might have. He has like frost elemental and a bunch of uh, bunch of strangers, and you can certainly just kill people with the strangers. Yeah, like if they stumble, they just die. And not to constantly call out John Holio and to go more off topic, but in his handpicked draft deck. He played three Streets of Flames and zero Conflags. Yeah, and I think I probably went the other way. Yeah. Um, because my... but what, Like I said, it, I think it depends on the type of the deck. My deck is very controlly. Um, just mid-range blockers and yeah. like some removal spells. And in that situation, the Conflag is way better than the Streets because I'm not killing anybody anytime soon. Well, he's three-color warp, so I wouldn't call it... Super right, and well, so you said a word there that makes me want to have Scout in the deck. So when you have a lot of warp in the late game, maybe it's bigger value to scout something to the bottom and play like one of your warp cards off the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I could see it being right. And also he's, uh, that deck specifically is extremely dependent on drawing a specific card, a certain specific card. That happens to be in the market so an effect like a scout can get you to your merchants to let you draw your card out of the market mm-hmm. and turn your deck on so i can see wanting scout over the potential amplify in that situation mm-hmm. i'm going to play both because like a warp deck tends to be very power intensive yeah uh so then you might want to just have a little bit more removal to ensure you're alive in the late game but I could see not not playing the complex. Okay, okay, I'm not convinced, but I'm glad there's something <laughs> out there that. Sure, sure. Uh, this is a this is a format that does not has not existed before this tournament. So whatever you see out of here is new technology, mm-hmm. and it was it's very interesting to see what people uh, did with this draft. There there weren't very we didn't have three copies of any one strategy. We might have had two copies across the 10 or so people that joined. Yeah. But we saw a lot of different things happening. Yeah, I was very surprised, actually. I kind of thought that everyone was going to do the strategy that I did. Yeah, really? Um, Interesting. Yeah. I thought everybody was going to do what I did. And uh, so everybody thinks they have the right, uh, yeah. the game-winning strategy. And we'll see, you know, got to play the games, and we'll see, see who's right. All right. And then next... 
we're going to talk about some set seven thoughts and cards today. So uh, set seven has not been released yet. So we're still in set 6.9, I guess people are calling it. Yeah, sort of like you can you can draft these set seven cards and then play them in ranked, which is really strange. I think this is just like a really cool way to release a set. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of released, but kind of not, which is just very interesting. Yeah, this is uh, this is more community related, but I do think Direwolf has done a much better job this set building up height. They had a lot more cards spoiled than previously, so it's been uh, a lot more fun to watch. But for the sake of our discussion, we're not we're not really going to frame it in terms of set six point nine. We're going to, I think, because that format, we're not really sure when it's going to end. So we just want to talk about it in a more broad, general view of how we're going to see these cards hopefully play out in set yeah. seven. So I think we'll go through all four of the revealed mechanics. Uh, to start with, we're going to do mastery. Mastery is an ability that triggers when you deal a certain number of damage. So a card will say, for example, mastery two flying in a teething whelp. And that means when teething whelp does two damage, it gains flying. And that two damage, um, and I think this is a little tricky, can be dealt in any way. So it can be face damage, it can be damage on the attack, it can be damage from blocking. So it's, it's I think that one of my big takeaways for mastery is it's easier to trigger than you think it is because you don't just have to be attacking to gain mastery. Yeah. The one little caveat there is the unit has to, it typically the mastery is on units, but the the unit has to survive the damage in order, the dam, any damage it might be taking in, in order to trigger the mastery. Mm -hmm. So it, it you can't like trade and then dark return it or something like that. But um, it is a very powerful ability and the low mastery numbers are pretty easy to trigger. Uh, what, are, what are some of the uh, mastery cards that you'd like to to call out, Patrick. What one of them is the card I just mentioned, Teething Whelp, which is the two fire two two, mastery two gains flying, mastery six gains plus three plus three. That's a pretty scary card. Yes. So yeah, if you're on the play uh, and they don't have a two drop, you you have a locust, uh, and then that locust turns into some huge flyer very quickly. Um, that is pretty scary. I uh, I agree because I think uh, a two two for two has historically been not that bad of a card, and then a two two for two with flying in set five was the best uncommon in the format. Yeah. And then, um, or at least one of the best. And then... This has uh, potential upside on top of that. Yeah. A two power, five, five just seems really good. Yeah, With yeah. flying. With flying. Why wouldn't it have flying as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very powerful. Um, do we want to talk about another card? Do we want, want to talk about some ways to, like, enable this mastery? Let's just talk about ways to enable mastery. Yeah. So you can... It, it only cares about... The, that the unit dealt the damage 
So if you do like permanent or temporary buffs on the unit, like you put a weapon on it or cast a, a buff spell on the unit, that helps uh, trigger the mastery. Like Patrick said before, you can get mastery on blocks and on attacks. So you might see people casting combat tricks on defense uh, a lot more now um, because you're maybe a little bit more in control of what happens and then you trigger your mastery on defense and then when you attack you've already made your unit bigger or whatever the mastery trigger was. Uh, so you can... There's, there's going to be a lot of stuff in this set that uh, enables the mastery mechanic either through... Um, attack buffing uh, unit weapons, which we didn't see much of in set six at all, uh, or combat tricks that increase uh, power. Uh, and we have we are seeing a lot of those in the 6.9 format specifically, and I would expect to continue to see them in, in set seven. Yeah, and what's uh, interesting to me is, I feel like the mastery cards are a little split. There's some cards like Teething Whelp that I think don't really need any, th- any help you know you don't really it's not a card that needs a weapon to hit well, mastery do, or to get it better. is a little hard to get that first trigger if you get the first trigger you're going to get the second trigger yeah but you do need it to to survive that first two damage hit mm-hmm. um, yeah so i guess the um a weapon or a combat trick helps in the sense that it will survive but not in the sense of like it reaches that high number right or you might have like a removal spell. Uh, if in the current format, you might cast Streets of Flame on turn three and attack. Yes. Uh, and then you have your trigger. Yes. Uh, whereas Streets of Flame doesn't necessarily help you get mastery because it doesn't help the unit do damage necessarily. Something like that could be very good. What, and so what's then another? there's, I think, another class of cards like uh, Relentless Combatant, which is a four, fire, fire, two, three, berserk, and mastery eight plus two plus two. And this is a card, I think, that you're probably not trying to trigger mastery fairly in order to make this a good card. Do you know what I mean? You're not just like, let me get in four times with my four power two, three. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) And also, so it has the ability uh, Berserk, which can help you deal the damage faster. But if you use the Berserk to trigger the Mastery, you won't have the Berserk after you get Mastery when the unit is naturally bigger. So there's kind of some tension in, in that card specifically. If we compare it to historical cards, the one that stands out is the 3-4 Lifesteal Berserk unit mm-hmm. in Shadow from past formats. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, Corrupted... Umbrin. Umbrin, yeah. Um, so that was like best in format common. This yeah. is smaller and has less abilities, but but I agree with you that it needs some kind of an advantage to trigger it. If you had a card like Finest Hour, the Finest Hour plus Relentless Combatant plus the Berserk Attack does the eight damage necessary uh, to trigger the mastery, and then it's quite large. Uh, but it does need that help, I think, mm-hmm. you say. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting card to me because, I mean, even when you look at it with Mastery, which I think is maybe not particularly easy to get, uh, 4 power, 4-5 is a good card, but it's not like a great card. 
What do you say yeah. that? Likely with reckless as well. In most yes. realistic situations, it probably has reckless when it gets the mastery. Mm-hmm. And that's like a nimble conscript or something. Uh, so it's a slightly bigger nimble conscript. Now, this card plays extremely well, just like nimble conscript, nimble conscript with combat tricks. And it plays very well before and after the mastery with combat tricks. Mm-hmm. For the same reasons that nimble conscript worked well. Yes, though I would say that Nimble Conscript, you know, I think that is the most obvious comparison. Um, the the one thing is though, Nimble Conscript was great in aggressive decks because you could play it for one power. The one power even, was real important, yeah. But even playing it on three in an aggressive deck was pretty good because it it yeah. was larger. It, you know, that four toughness really helped it, but it was not great in a more mid-rangey fire deck. Oh, I agree. I don't think this is good unless you have, you're planning to do something unfair with it. Yeah, and this card, I think, is not necessarily great in an aggressive deck because you're spending four power to play it 2-3. I mean, at least it has Berserk, so that's something. And if you have some kind of a weapon or a large overwhelm trick or something, then maybe that's good enough. But um, it it needs support for sure. Uh, what are some other uh, card mastery cards you'd like to call out? Well, I guess the one other one that we wanted to call out was the Skyhorror Draconis, which is the 7 Primal 4-5 Flying Mastery 5 Play Permafrost on an enemy unit. So yeah, th- This card is interesting. I, I was looking at this card in the first couple drafts that I went, and I almost played it but didn't. And I didn't realize it had the, the keyword flying. So it was pretty close for me because it's a removal spell and a you know a, a unit in the in the same package and it's a good blocker. Blocking is a pretty good way to uh, threaten to trigger mastery at the very least. But as a flyer, that's that's pretty comparable to the three five Aegis card in the in the current format or in the six point five format anyway. The Valkyrie uh, accuser. So that card was pretty good. This card's a common, and and that was an uncommon, and was pretty good there. So I think I'm going to be trying to play this a little bit more than I uh, was in the past. Uh, it is splashable. Not I don't think splashability really matters too much in this upcoming format, but uh, it's just a really big flyer in a set that doesn't seem like it has a ton of flyers, mm-hmm. and, and it has some value baked in with the removal spell. You yes. do need some kind of a, you either need to attack twice or you need to block an attack or you need to use a combat trick or something to get the the permafrost out on time. But permafrost mm-hmm. is a is a powerful removal spell. I'm leaning a little bit positive on this. I think if it costs six, it would be borderline best uncommon in, or best common in the set. It costs seven, which is a lot more. Yeah, but, yeah uh, it does cost a lot. pretty good. And I'm still a little, I think this last set has made me a little wary of expensive primal flying cards. Yeah. Um, But this card does, I mean, it's easier to cast because it's a single primal. And it's common, so I guess you're more likely to get them or see them. You know Um, what card this makes look pretty good? Uh, Diving Terriax. Yes. Because it, it has two more attack, 
and an extra point of toughness for one more power and it re- permanently removes a unit rather than dealing two damage to something yeah and the so, fact that this does have a big butt really i think helps with the mastery because it makes it a lot more likely to survive um two two exchanges yeah yeah i mean if you play this let's say you're behind right and your opponent has like three units and they and you play this right it's your only creature if they don't have a removal spell can they attack because you get you get to kill one of them right you probably kill one of them and then you attack them and kill another one that's that's pretty good, and it's three creatures to zero. It's pretty far behind, and that this catches you up pretty good. Now, it does cost seven. You can't play, like, three or four of these because that's that's real expensive, but I think it, there's potential there. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try it, and we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic for a seven drop here. All right, so we move to the next mechanic, which is muster. So muster is is a mechanic that when you play a weapon in a spell in the same turn, you trigger all your cards' muster abilities. And you can only do this for each card once per turn. You could theoretically do it on your opponent's turn as well if you somehow had a, a fast speed weapon. But you have to... you. It's very good to call out that it, it's not like Renown in that, like if you had multiple Renown creatures in the past, you'd need a weapon for each one or a spell for each one. Mm-hmm. With uh, Muster, you would trigger all of them, even if you don't cast it on something that has the Muster ability. You can still put your weapon on your flyer and trigger your ground creature's Muster. Yep. Um, and unlike Renown, where it was Renown was kind of like an ultimate where it was one and done. Oh, uh, yeah. Muster can be used multiple o- across multiple turns. That's very true. Yes. Yeah. So f- so far with the muster cards revealed, it seems like it is just an Elysian mechanic, though we don't know if that will change. And I will say I am not super wowed yet with the cards that were revealed. Um, it seems like muster has a couple problems. Would you like to speak to those, Ben? Yeah, so if you're going to do this in kind of a fair way, you would use a card to play a weapon on something and then use a card as a spell in the same turn. So you kind of have some some power problems there, maybe. You have to be able to do two things in one turn. So you're doing pretty good if you can do that to begin with. And then you trigger these abilities, but, but it's, it's just kind of hard to do that. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of weapons and the spells, some of the spells are a little uh, underwhelming. We already talked about kind of how the removal was a little bit weak. And typically, removal is what you want when you're playing a spell. So it's it's a little hard to get, like, cheap removal and a cheap weapon in the same turn. Now, one way that people have found to do this is to use spellcraft weapons. Because that's one card. And it typically gives you a weapon and a spell if you can uh, trigger the spellcraft. So that can be a very powerful way to trigger these muster abilities. And now, unfortunately, in the current curated packs, the spellcraft weapons are a little underwhelming, uh, to say the least. And some of them are not in the Elysian colors. So, for example, the there's a Justice Relic weapon that's a 2-1 for 3, which is kind of, that's pretty suspicious, a 2-1 Relic weapon for 3. 
and then for an additional three power on the same turn you get a flash grenade a six power flash grenade is also a little uh, a little suspicious it's also a slow speed flash grenade which is a lot worse so you, we need to we need to see the full list before we can say uh, like the full effectiveness of this. I remember there was a, a lesion weapon spoiled that had equivocate as the spellcraft ability, which is quite strong. Uh, so you may be a little more reliant on the high rarity cards to make uh, this work. Uh, so also like the base bodies on the muster units are maybe a little below rate. There are a few exceptions. Would you like to talk about some of the uh, some of the reasonable bodies we've seen so far? Yeah, what are you units? pulled these out? So, what are some of the cards that you pulled out as possible good muster cards? Well, I I like a three power two four probably more than most, uh, and swaying sea Kieran uh, is just that a three power two four in time single time influence, and with muster you create and draw a, a humbug, one one flying unit for one. Uh, so this is a, a good baseline stats on the unit. And then if you trigger a muster, you get an evasive unit, which is also pretty reasonable uh, in a lot of situations. So you don't have to trigger the muster, but if you do, you get something reasonable for it, at least. Yeah, and what I like about this card is that but if you don't use a spellcraft weapon, in order to trigger muster, you're often using two cards. Yeah. Um, That's definitely which, a limitation of the muster ability. Which is definitely a limitation. But at least, I mean, it's not the greatest card to be drawing, but at least you are sort of drawing some material by triggering muster on Swaying Sea Kieran. So you're recouping a little bit of that lost card advantage. Yeah. It is also a uh, draw trigger. So we are seeing units, some Inspire units in the 6.9 format, like a living example, mm -hmm. which turns this into a, a Locust when you draw it, which is pretty crazy. And both of those are, are commons, I believe. So that this is a common, defensively statted, 2-4 for 3. This is going to be very impactful, I think, just from the body, and it's going to create a lot of board stalls. And when you create a board stall, what you want is flying, and it's going to give you the flying as well in the long run. And in the long run is good enough, typically, um, when, you, when you're good at creating a board stall. So I think this card is pretty good. There's also a, uh, a card, Majestic Mandrake, which is six power time time for a 7-5 Overwhelm. Uh, and with Muster, you gain five health. Uh, one of the things that's quite good when you're behind is incidental life gain. And this is incidental life gain. It's on a fairly reasonable creature. I'd rather it was a 5-7 than a 7-5 because that's more defensive. Uh, and you want, when you have incidental life gain, you want a defensive creature because those both work kind of towards the same end. But this creature does seem like a reasonable replacement for some of the other large uh, time units that are departing from the format, like uh, Corrupted Behemoth, Tremor Shocker, that sort of thing. Uh, typically in a time deck, you're going to want something sort of big, and Overwhelm's a pretty good keyword ability. So, especially in a race, it's hard hard, hard to chump block you. So Yeah, this one is weird to me a little bit, being an uncommon. So, you know, the closest parallel is 
is plated Goliath, the six time time seven five with warp. And yeah, overwork. same stat line, but has warp instead of uh, this muster ability. That card was a little interesting to me in this last format, where first off, I feel like I, because it was an uncommon, you didn't see it that often. And it just never really sort of wowed me. It's It was a weird card where I almost would have rather had a Corrupted Behemoth. Yeah. I mean, it's competing with Corrupted Behemoth, Blurred Stigamalock, yeah. uh, a little bit with Tremor, Shocker, uh, that sort of thing. So and, you can't have too much of that kind of stuff. And with Mandrake, I just have a, I have a feeling that this... Its muster ability is not as good as Warp. Yeah, I think it's worse, but it, the the Plate of Galath did rate pretty well in the old format. Mm-hmm. Now, we do also have, uh, in competition in the high drop time slots, we have the uh, Silence unit, which is going to compete pretty strongly with this. I think I'd rather have the Silence unit than this, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of weird, because that, that's kind of the same as the old format with like Corrupted Behemoth and... Uh, played at Goliath, they probably had a similar relationship. So um, I think I, I put it on here because the body's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, on some of the other units, the bodies are a little worse. And on those, I would have to be more skeptical because then you have to trigger the muster. And I think muster is not going to be like super easy to trigger. Yeah. And that's, um, that is the other question. Cause like, your first muster and gaining five, that feels a little incidental. But if you are able to trigger muster multiple times reliably, like gaining 10, that's... That's, that's a lot of life, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're presumably, you have this 7-5 Overwhelmer, so you're, you're putting a little bit of time pressure on your opponent, hopefully, if you can attack with it. Are there any um, muster units that uh, kind of enable you to get more muster in the future? Yes. And that is the uh, five primal, three five muster draw two cards. It's a green stretch empath. This is a very interesting card because this this is once again very dependent on how easy it is to trigger muster. We were talking a little bit offline um, before we started recording, and I brought up expedition leader as, which was one of those uh, you know was the shift payoff in time where you got to draw two cards every time a unit emerged. And this feels a little similar in that it's it's trying to show you, like, you know, it's it's your payoff for being able to trigger muster. You know, sure. you get your two cards back, you get to dig deeper in your deck, possibly muster again. This one has a much better body. You think a 5-power 3-5 is better than a 2-power 1-1? One, one? I, I would say in general... Okay. I mean, I do I think agree. we do have a history of a five power three fives being okay bodies. You know, there is the awakened the, sentinel. Yeah, uh, which obviously that had warp and endurance, endurance which are yeah. great, great abilities. So but then there's like awakened the the four power three five was pretty good on defense mm-hmm. and double time. Um, so I, I think. The defensive stats on this make are, are kind of subtly a benefit for muster because it means the games will go longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'll draw more cards, so you'll be able to set up your muster combos. Um, it's also a defensive ground unit while you might kill them in the air. It, Primal does have some flying units, so that's pretty good. 
Uh, and a 3-5 is really, like, pretty difficult to attack through. Yes. So I think the bodies on these uh, make them, and then the muster payoffs are something that you hopefully get on top of have playing a, a reasonable unit to begin with. Um, whereas maybe some of the other muster units are more dependent on the muster, uh, and then it's going to be highly dependent on whether you can actually do that. Um, like the, there's a 5 power 4-4 four, four in time that gets bigger if you muster. I think 5 power 4-4 four, four is not a very good stat line. Um, and plus 4 plus 4 for one turn is not as good as drawing a car, drawing two cards or mm -hmm. generating a flyer or gaining some life or just having a bigger body. So, Yeah, I will say I will feel much better about muster if Sand Glass Parma is in the new format. They can bring back some uh, some spellcraft weapons like Linebreaker Shield or Sandglass Parma, like you say, uh, Ruination Sledge. Yeah. Uh, that would uh, Welding Torch. They, yeah. they have printed some extremely powerful spellcraft weapons in the past, and if any of those are in the curated packs, yeah, that will be that will strongly impact the playability of these cards. Yes, though this is another thing we talked about earlier, but. I am a little nervous because a lot of the good spellcraft weapons put you in a third color or in only one of the two muster colors if you're still a two-color deck. Yeah. And we were, we were kind of having a debate whether we think muster is an all-in mechanic or not. Like, how good is a muster card if you have one or two muster cards and only one or two spellcraft weapons? It seems like you're never really getting the value. And since a lot of the muster cards that we've seen so far aren't just like great units in and of themselves, it doesn't seem like totally worth it. Um, well, you can kind of get the, you can kind of get the best of both worlds just by playing a unit that is reasonable and playing a spellcraft weapon that is reasonable. Mm -hmm. If both of the cards are individually good, then when they come together, it'll be great. And when they don't come together, you still not, are not going to be in a bad situation. So I, I think you are correct to be skeptical of the uh, uh, muster units that have poor bodies relative to their stats. And I think we're right to be skeptical of spellcraft weapons that don't do anything. We're going to have to be on the lookout for uh, things that are individually powerful in both of those categories. And when it comes together, it should be really good. Mm -hmm. So would you call Greenstretch Empath one of those I'd cards? I'd say it's reasonable. Is... So if it was a 5-3, I would say it's terrible. But yeah. Because it's a 3-5, like I said before, it makes the game go longer. Uh, it's a reasonable blocker. Like Obviously, if it cost 4, it would be way better, but that's Bam Sneaky Peaky's <laughs> stat line. So, um, yes. So would you, does this make sense? Maybe this is just rarity bias coming in but like a five power three five just doesn't really excite me at uncommon uh yeah like i think you are a little of the three cards we looked at you're a little bit more uh, in on the muster ability with mm -hmm. this one and you're gonna want to be triggering the muster whereas swing c kieran you're you're a lot happier with the body you pay two less for one less you know, two total stat points less than the green stretch empath. And it's a common. So, uh, like, clearly you're probably a lot happier with the swing, Seekaren. But I think it's not bad. 
I think if it was like a four or five, it would be actively good. The, yeah. The green stretch empath uh, or three, six or something like that. And so it's only like one stat point off being uh, very good. And I think that puts it in the, the at least pretty good uh, range. So I, I'm not like crazy about it or anything, but the, that muster payoff is much better than any, either of the other muster payoffs. So you trade a little bit of body there for uh, a better trigger when you get it. And you just don't want to go too far down that line or you get to some of these muster cards we're not talking about where the body is just really bad and you have to get the muster yeah. for it to be good. And that was the case for uh, Expedition Leader. The body was extremely bad. You had to get the benefit for it to pay off. And a lot of times you couldn't or they would kill it in response or something like that. Good luck killing a 3-5. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah. Shall we move to the next mechanic? I think this is one that you have uh, strong feelings about. So do you want to take it? Sure. So the next mechanic we'll talk about is uh, Decimate. Uh, this is a mechanic where it the card will do something and then it will have Decimate to do something else uh, or more of the same thing. Well, there's a few categories of decimate, but the, it, the card will have decimate. And if you choose to activate the decimate, what happens is you lose a point of maximum power permanently and you get whatever the decimate effect is. This is a very powerful effect because it gives you that secondary effect for no power cost. So you're, you're, you're in a resource exchange situation where you're trading off future maximum power for current board impacting effect, which is very powerful, especially if there will not be a future because you kill your opponent or you put yourself in such an advantageous position that they can't recover. So it, 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 it's a very swinging mechanic and a very powerful one, I think, uh, especially if aggressively costed. And some of the high rarity cards are very aggressively costed. Yeah, so what are the different ways they seem to be using the decimate keyword? Well, one of the um, maybe most straightforward uh, uses is to just get the card again. So a card like Funeral Pyre is a fire uncommon that costs three uh, with a single fire influence that deals two damage to an enemy. Three, three power for two damage is pretty below rate, but with Decimate, you get two damage to an additional enemy. Now you can't do um, two damage to the same enemy, uh, four damage to one enemy, you'll have to do two and two. But that's a pretty powerful effect. Now, you have to be a little cautious when you look at these Decimate cards, because if you look at this card and say, well, it's three power and it does two damage to two things, you're ignoring the downside of the Decimate, which is to hinder future development. Uh, it really is kind of like minus one card, especially uh, in the developing stages, um, because you're sacrificing that that play of a power um, but if the effect is swinging enough, um, it can be good. Uh, and I think this, this can be, uh, swinging enough to be good because killing two creatures for three power is pretty powerful. So if you can mitigate the, the effect of that, uh, minus power, either by being extremely aggressive where you're killing your opponent or, uh, maybe waiting until slightly later in the game where you have power to, uh, to burn as it were you can leverage this to its full effect. You just have to keep in mind the baseline case of this is three power for two damage, which is not uh, not real great, I would say. So does but this card strike you as a powerful card? 
anything that lets you kill two um, two cards for one card is pretty good. And uh, damage-based effects are pretty good at killing things like evasive units. Mm-hmm. Evasive units tend to not also be hearty units. So uh, if you can kill a couple flying units or kill a couple small blocking units, that can be um, very swingy in a in some kind of a racing situation. It also does deal damage to your opponent, uh, so it can be kind of like a searing blaze or uh, effect if you're used to Magic the Gathering cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I or think... uh, what's there? There's the Eternal card. The uh, yeah, I'm not. It sure. does two, two damage to a unit and two damage to face for two. Uh, yeah, Piercing Shot. Yes, that card. Yeah, so I think Piercing Shot is probably better just because the base rate is is better than this. But Piercing Shot was a pretty reasonable card. We, we've had a lot of uh, two damage for two uh, fire cards in the past formats, and they have not been great. But they have all been one-for-ones, and this has the possibility of being a two-for-one. Um, so I'm, I'm not super interested in doing two face damage and two damage to a stranger or whatever. But... If you can clear out two blockers, yeah, uh, I'll or be two interested on defense. I will say I was constantly surprised about not how bad Char, Char. was, but how yeah. it felt like it underperformed from my what my expectations of the card were. I think that's reasonable because that was a format where everybody was playing. Well, I don't know that everybody was playing a bunch of strangers, but there's a lot of strangers in that format. So it's pretty unexciting to use a spell to trade with a stranger when they got a couple influence out of the out of the deal, and you didn't save a lot of uh, a power. Mm-hmm. But maybe in this format, if there's some small flyers that become big later, mm-hmm. like that uh, that dragon that we talked about earlier, yeah. or some of the other mastery creatures, and maybe if the removal's weak enough. Like, 6.0 was a fairly strong removal format, and 6.5 was weaker, but was not not weak, per se. Yeah. You still had Streets of Flame, Conflag, Retribution, etc. Uh, but if the removal is weak enough, then uh, this could be a, a good card just on a raid. And then I think it's living mostly by the doubling effect. There's also a plus two plus one combat trick for three or something like that, and you don't want to pay plus three for your two plus plus two plus one. But with decimate, um, you can get two of them, and then that can be a little swingier. So th- that's kind of the simplest application: is just do whatever it was again. There's also a version of decimate where you recover your card in some way. Because decimating does kind of cost you a card and that it costs you a maximum power. So the card Reconnaissance is a shadow card for uh, the cost two. It's common. Single shadow influence. It gives one of your units plus two attack and unblockable this turn. And if you decimate, you draw the top card of their deck uh, if it connects. And you just gave it unblockable, so hopefully it will connect. Uh, this card goes quite well with things like mastery creatures because you get in for damage and the unit survives and the decimate uh, you lose your max power but draw a card for it so that's kind of a clear exchange of resources that can be uh, useful Uh, and if you can get the advantage out of the baseline version of the card 
via triggering mastery or just killing your opponent, then um, the decimate can be useful um, to turn excess power into back into some random card, which is relatively powerful, I would say. There's some other takes on this, but the idea is, you know, decimate and recover a card in some way. There's a few cards like that. There's also some cards that are just very good on the base rate, and the decimate does some kind of minor bonus. Uh, one of these cards is draw strength, which is kind of a weird take on strength of mini. Uh, you give a unit plus one plus one for each of your opponent's units. So where strength of many, you you added your units count to a unit. And this, this is a much better card on defense. It also costs less. And then that's just the baseline ability. So baseline ability is a combat trick that works good in uh, racing situations, parity, uh, and when you're behind. Better than when you're ahead. And then if you decimate, the top three units in your deck get plus one, plus one. So it's kind of like a super war cry. And I think that ability is something... I haven't really thought too much about the decimate ability because it seems like it's relatively minor on a, on a card that's already good to begin with. Uh, but I think you wouldn't want to do it early in the game because you don't want to lose max power. And uh -huh. late in the game, well, it makes your units a little bigger, so you may as well do it. Um, so I think... That, but the primary effect of this, I would say, is probably the one power uh, fast speed combat trick uh, yeah. that's just very good on defense. The potentially better finest hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it, is tempor it is a temporary buff, but even temporary buffs work well with Exalted. Uh, it works well with Mastery, especially on defense. Um, yeah, it works well with Mastery on like multiple levels, because if you buff your Mastery creatures on top of your deck, then they get their mastery faster. If you cast this on a mastery creature, it gets the mastery faster. Um, so I think this card is just very strong, and then it has this benefit on top of it that's pretty reasonable. And you should probably know when to use it. Don't use it all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go back to reconnaissance. So <laughs> You're not going to let me get away with reconnaissance? You're going to hold me responsible? No, you said you thought this was... Potentially a pretty good card. I do actually think it's pretty good. I don't um, think it's like above average, but I think it's a replacement level. And do you think that is mostly in the decimate ability? Be I th um, because there has been a a lot of give unblockable temporary unblockable cards. And I haven't been a big fan of those. To be and fair. none of them have been particularly good. But I do think that it has a couple synergies with this set in particular that make it better than it would normally be. So first off, it's a spell that is not expensive. So uh -huh. in terms of triggering muster, you want to put spells and weapons in your deck that don't cost like six or seven, because then you can potentially do two things on the same turn. So that's one benefit. It works pretty well with, with muster. It works pretty well with mastery, because maybe you get one hit in, and then your second hit is with Reconnaissance, and then you've triggered your Mastery. Your opponent's not too worried about the first hit, but then the second hit, you don't get to interact with it, because they you play Reconnaissance on your unit. 
and then you have your mastery unit. You power up your lifesteal wolf or your flying dragon. You get it past their blocker, and suddenly it's a 5-5. So it, it interacts pretty well with mastery. It also... So that's the unblockable half. And then the draw card effect is pretty good with... Um, muster as well because it gives you more shots to hit your your combo of a spell and a weapon in the same turn um and it's just very powerful to be able to exchange resources you could choose to turn one of your power that you've played into a real card from your opponent's deck it doesn't really matter that it's from your opponent's deck but let's assume your opponent has reasonable cards the ability to exchange uh, power you don't need for a random card is just very powerful. So, and, and you have the option to do that when you cast this. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it just it feels very powerful to me to be able to exchange resources like this uh, for no power investment. Like yeah. if this was if you had to pay two to get the the decimate or something like that, I would be a lot more skeptical about this. But you just get it for free for sacking something that may not matter at the time. Uh, And those kind of conversions can just be very powerful. It's also very good late game in a, like, let's say you're an aggressive deck. You get one hit through with this and maybe you burn them out. Or you get your lethal hit through with this. Or the normal unblockable things that you would like. And also in an aggressive deck late game, you're very likely to want to sacrifice a, a maximum power to draw a card. So I think it's very good in an aggressive deck. I think it's very good in a racing situation. You get a ground unit through when it normally wouldn't. That can be very swingy. They, they're expecting to chump block or something like that. It's not good on defense. You know, it's not it's not good when you're behind. Mm-hmm. But I think it's pretty good in all the other phases. And so it is a slow speed spell, so you, you can't even try and cast it when blocking or something like that. So. The card, and this might be a stretch that I'm thinking in my head right now, is Dispel, the three-time silence draw card. Silence draw card, yeah. And I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of the value of Decimate. So like if Reconnaissance was a three-power give did a unit, this for plus three. two, unblockable, and draw a card... Is that a better card than this card or a worse card than this card? We're comparing three cost dispel with reconnaissance no, we're, that costs we're, more. We're, we're comparing a three reconnaissance with a hypothetical three cost version that instead of decimate just had draw a card. That would be better. But there's some scenarios where this card where the decimate card would be better because it costs less. Mm-hmm. Like costing less is a really a big deal. And your sacrifice, like in the end, you get to the same spot because instead of paying one more power this turn, you have one less power next turn. But but it's it's very powerful to get that like mu- double muster spell turn mm-hmm. if you if you need to. Uh, if you're putting a weapon on a unit, then giving that weaponed up unit unblockable is pretty powerful. If that unit has mastery and a weapon, and you trigger some other muster ability with this, like the more of this stuff you have going at the same time. The more of a board presence you have, the more of a board stall, the more of a uh, race that you're in, the the better this this card is. Yeah. I think I think you know. Obviously, I see draw a card off an opponent's deck, and I see draw a card. 
Like yeah. It's it's going to be very similar. So if I compare this card to Dispel just straight up, I think this is a more aggressive version of Dispel. Dispel is kind of a defensive card. You silence their flyers mm-hmm. so that your ground units can block it. You draw a card. This one, you, you make your guy not be able to be blocked and draw a card. And that's clearly a much more aggressive ability. And we don't know whether this format's an aggressive format or not. But it, it's very powerful to do the resource exchanges. It's very powerful to uh, recoup your card. Because like you could you could envision it as um, discarding the reconnaissance and drawing a card. I guess I don't know whether that that's a better way to think about it or not. Yeah, but I yeah, think there's I, enough tr- damage based triggers and enough spell based triggers that there's got to be something going on with this card. Yeah, I think I'll be interested to see if this card is useful outside of a mastery heavy deck because I think yeah. it um, it feels more obviously good in a mastery deck. But whether it will just be a generically good card or not, I think I'll be interested to see. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think you're you're not going to want to take this pick, this card early. You're going to want to take it late, right? Because it matters more that you have the cards than this enabler specifically. But there's cards like the um, the two three wolf two three life steal wolf for three that has mastery six plus two plus two. I think you get one attack in with that wolf. This the second attack with reconnaissance, they probably hold back a guy, and then you negate their holding back of a guy with the unblockable. Mm-hmm. So this like the scarier your masteries are, the more you're going to gain life off this card as well, because you get the the value of them not hitting you, and then you negate their attempt at defense with the unblockable, and you continue pressuring them. And that's very powerful in any kind of racing situation. All right. So our final mechanic is Exalted. And the Exalted mechanic is a card has Exalted. And then we we talked about this a little bit earlier in the card of the week. But when a card with Exalted dies, you um, create a, you play a weapon with, uh, with a power and toughness equal to the card's power and toughness as well as any abilities the card had yeah and it's a unit weapon uh you still have the the unit in your graveyard so any entomb triggers still go off it doesn't get transformed or anything like that so th- this is a mechanic that is similar to several different magic the gathering mechanics but not very not very close really to any of them this is a very digital implementation and i think it is People keep telling me that's very powerful, and I believe them, because as you said before the podcast, you kind of get two uses out of your unit. You get the unit, and then you get the weapon that it makes afterwards. It also has kind of some hidden synergies with things like combat tricks, where you can buff the unit, it dies, and you get a permanent weapon-based enhancement to some other unit. Uh, which gives you kind of two uses out of a combat trick as well. So th- that can be extremely powerful. Uh, do you want to talk about the? Uh, well, we we talked about one of your one of the exalted cards earlier with the the one one for one in time with exalted. It's kind of like a two two for one, which is that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of the there's some dangerous things that you can get out of this. Like you can move a uh, buff 
there's um, there's spells that give exalted to other units, and then there's units that just have exalted to begin with. Some of the units that have exalted are very understated, but they have powerful keywords like flying, or quick draw, things like that. And then if those units die, you can put that high power keyword on some other unit. Like there's a two-one flyer for five. Uh, with a double justice requirement. That's absolutely horrible <laughs> in terms of how good it is. But when you move that uh, flying buff over to something else, it could be extremely powerful. So I think this mechanic is very difficult to evaluate and very dependent on permanent and temporary enhancements to units. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you can do that is with weapons and with spellcraft weapons. So I, I would bet on there being quite a lot of uh, weapons in the actual format um, because basically every mechanic needs them. It, it is interesting because, you know, part of it is like when I just think about a mechanic that requires you, that sort of incentivizes you to play more cards on a card, you're like, well, this can be really dangerous. But the yeah. fact that like, Whenever you play a weapon on an exalted unit, you're sort of doubling, you're getting two uses out of that weapon. Yeah. You know, so it's not quite as inherently card disadvantage. Um, yeah, like you said, it's just a very hard mechanic to eval <clears throat> evaluate. Um, it's the very fact true. that you need a second unit on board also makes me a little nervous. That is definitely a limitation that people are going to find themselves running into where they have their only only their exalted unit in play or they attack with their exalted unit and it gets blocked and in response their other unit gets killed so the, the weapon transfer doesn't happen. Uh, or you go all in on a unit and it gets retribution to the next turn, something like that. Uh -huh. These can be very swingy when, when you're very dependent on investing multiple cards into one card. Uh, so those are very good things to call out. And I'm a little, that's, those are some of the things that are causing me to be a little nervous about this mechanic. Uh, but if removal is weak, if the buffs are strong, then there's uh, a lot of potential in this mechanic at, at the very least. Do you have a feeling um, of what direction you think you would rather go? I mean, obviously we don't have the full set, but like where you're, sort of doubling down on these cheaper exalted cards by adding weapons and adding buffs to it or you're playing these way over costed like the five power two one flyer or the five power four two overwhelmer because uh, i feel like those are almost two different two different play styles where I, i'm still a little nervous you know like obviously giving something flying is great but man, paying five power for a two-one flyer, just that's a that's a hard sell for me. I agree. I think it's a lot easier to cast a good combat trick on a bad exalted creature, or to put a good weapon on a small exalted creature, and have that work out than it is to pay a lot for an expensive exalted creature that you then put some other. Uh, trick on top of one thing that severely punishes this exalted mechanic is silence because your plan well like two things that punish it maybe one is silence because you prevent the transfer from happening uh, and another thing is relic removal so 
if uh, either you can destroy the weapons that are on the exalted creature so that its transfer effect is minimized, or and you kill the creature for free, that sort of thing, or you your opponent invests multiple cards into a uh, a transfer, and then you kill the the weapon that is created. That's pretty powerful, and the same thing with just any generic all-purpose removal spell will, will be pretty excellent against this. I don't really like either of these playstyles personally. The like go all in on a unit, hope they don't remove it. That's not a strategy that I enjoy personally, but uh, it can be very powerful. And we did see some of this back in uh, like set five with the spellcraft weapons. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of this kind of move all in on a flyer they don't have an answer and they die you get your answers i think that removal is going to be the key and unconditional removal even more so yeah it's i can't quite figure out why i'm so hesitant about that because i had a lot of success in set five just weaponing up and hitting face but so maybe it'll be the same way in this one well, they had, they did have powerful flyers in that format as well, uh, like the Illumination Wisp, Coastal Beastmaster, mm-hmm. uh, Locust. I think was in that format. There, there was a lot of stuff going on there where you could just put a weapon on something and and kill your opponent. That that's a lot easier than playing a weapon and a spell in the same turn, for example. So, and it's would, a lot easier than playing a five power two one. That yeah. Then has to die, and not get silenced. And not get if silenced. They, if that unit gets silenced, you that's game over. And you're only, if you pay a five power for something, they're pretty close to playing six power for that six five silence guy. And that six five silence guy doesn't care if you silence it. It's a six five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like actually, Rodolf guy. Yeah. Now that I'm talking more, I'm like, the fact that the unit needs to die also is really a complicating factor to this i would expect i would expect and hope that there are sacrifice effects in this new format like and as cheap as they can be the better Uh, if it's devour or combust or something that's a free sack outlet on a on an activated ability of a creature you kind of i feel like you have to have something like that to power this ability up or it's your opponent has some control over what happens so it's a little little risky it's kind of amusing in the current format uh to give exalted to uh cinder sprite which is the four three that dies at the end of the turn and has charge and overwhelm because that gives plus four plus three charge overwhelm and whatever your buff was to some other unit that's pretty silly Things like that that die at the end of the turn are very interesting if you can somehow give them exalted. Mm-hmm. And there is some hints that there might be more of that in the set because they do have that one spell that gives a unit yeah. a plus, I think, four attack and sacrifice it. Sack at the, it end. At the end of the turn, yeah. yeah. There's also like pierce, currently there's piercing grief, I think the card is called, the three, one for two with charge and sack at the end of the turn, mm-hmm. and revenge and lifesteal, which is. Those are pretty good abilities to grant. Some people are playing Mokto with uh, giving it Exalted in uh, Ranked, which is pretty silly. So th- there's there's potential in the ability for sure. Uh, and that it works on temporary buffs is, is pretty powerful. 
I wonder if they will have some kind of a stat reducing effect, like a minus four, minus four removal spell. And then you might be in a position where you have to pass negative stats along to another unit, which would be a little bit of nice counterplay against the exalted mechanic. All right, so I think that about wraps up our talk for the new cards in the set and the new mechanics. So shall we conclude the show here, Ben? Sounds good. So this week we talked about our normal card and listener of the week segments. Uh, we did our 7-1 run breakdown with 139 lists that you guys have submitted. Well done. And we did a high-level overview of the set 7 mechanics for draft. Yeah, so that's our show. Thank you again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in Discord, a link in the show notes. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all your 7-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.